Hello and welcome to The Long View, a podcast that takes a closer look at the games people play. The Long View is proudly sponsored by Gamesurplus.com. Go and check out everything that Game Surplus has to offer. They have an unbelievable selection. They have imports coming in all the time, hard to find rare games, unbeatable customer service, personalized service, fantastic packaging, and super fast shipping. So go and see why GameSurplus.com is my first choice whenever I'm placing an online order. I also, of course, want to give a shout-out to the Dice Tower because the Longview is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go and check out all they have to offer at Dicetower.com. They have a brand-new searchable database. You can uh, punch in the name of a game and see all the contents that that, uh, is there for you to review so that you can make great decisions about what to do with your board gaming budget. Of course, I also want to give a shout-out to my local game store, The Gamer's Edge in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. If you're in northeastern PA or northern New Jersey, southern New York, why don't you take a trip and come on to Stroudsburg. They're right on Main Street, conveniently located off of Interstate 80. The Gamer's Edge is a growing resource in the area for board game enthusiasts. They have a huge selection, new titles coming in all the time. They have a dedicated, knowledgeable, and friendly staff, and tons of table space. So whether you're into board games, card games, CCGs, video games, uh, I don't want to say antique video games, but um, uh, older video games, uh, vintage, I guess we would call them, vintage video games, go and check out the Gamer's Edge because they have a tremendous amount of resources for gamers in our area. My name is Jeff Gamble. I'm the host of The Long View, and today I am very happy to be joined once again by my co-host Lloyd Keller. So, uh, Lloyd, today I would like you to say hello as a person giving a report from a traffic helicopter. Wow. Well, thanks for having me on the show, and good morning. It's a pretty crazy morning today. It looks like there's a lot of traffic. There's There was actually an accident out on Chipperfield Falls Road, and I went right past them. There was somebody sitting there, and they were directing traffic, and I got to see a car on its side, and I don't know if it's cleared up yet, but we're going to find out later. Back to you, Jeff. Fantastic, Lloyd. Thank you for that report. (laughs) Did you really see a car accident? I really saw a car accident. Was everybody okay? um, Were there ambulances? There was nobody there yet, but it was literally an SUV on its side. Wow. Well, I hope everybody was okay. That was like like real drama in the uh, beginning of the show. (laughs) It is. And it's right where that bridge is, you know, closed. So there was already a crazy traffic pattern. Yes, yes. They close bridges here uh, in Pennsylvania, and, and it takes them years. It does. Years to replace a bridge like literally two years like this bridge will be out for two years while we replace it it's about 70 yards long but it's gonna take two years it's going across the creek you know and it's like well this is gonna take some time so it's like a five mile detour to go around this bridge that's gonna take them two I think the Army Corps of Engineers can span a river in like an afternoon I think you know but but it takes two years here in PA to get a bridge uh repair to replace so anyway enough of all of that so um today we are going to be taking a look at some new titles lloyd and i promised that after that a ridiculously long gen con preview we were not going to do a gen con post show like everybody else is but we are going to be talking about some games that we saw at gen con and games that we were lucky enough to pick up at gen con and have played and have some thoughts about so uh, we're going to be talking about a few games today, but the first one we're going to talk about is Survive Space Attack. Uh, this is a game from Stronghold Games, and it is a reimagining of the classic Survive Escape from Atlantis. 
And this is a game that was um, kind of re-implemented by the Engelsteins, by Jeff and Sidney Engelstein. And so, you know, when I first heard about this game, I was a little bit concerned uh, for a few moments because, you know, the first thing I thought is, oh, man, they're just going to reskin it. Um, They're just going to, you know, slap a space theme on it and it's going to be the same game, you know, but it's going to be in space and whatever. Um, but then my kids had a chance to kind of uh, play test it at uh, an event locally where uh, Jeff Engelstein was. And the reports that they gave me were that the game had been changed quite a bit. And then when I saw it for myself, I was like, okay, I should have trusted the Engelsteins. That, that's, that's the message here. Uh, I don't think Jeff would just ever reskin something. Um, so I, I'm almost, I almost feel bad about thinking that. But, you know, when you have the original name of the game and you just kind of change it up a little bit, it's like, okay, here we go. No, no, it's actually quite different for many different reasons. And so we had a chance, of course, to see Survive Space Attack at Gen Con. Yep. Uh, we were working in the Stronghold booth. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, that that's kind of, you know, we had plenty of opportunity to check it out. And uh, Jeff and Sydney were there as well. I had an opportunity to see people playing it uh, and then got a copy for myself. Um, This was not a review copy provided by Stronghold. This is one that I actually bought. Yep. And, um, you know, had a chance to play it with the kids and play it with you. And and it's just a a really interesting game. So uh, for this discussion, I also wanted to bring in Carter, uh, who's been on the show before, because he just recently played this as well. So say hello, Carter. Hello. There we go. So, nothing quite so fancy as your dramatic traffic report. <laughs> That's what makes it fancy. It's just plain old simple classic. <laughs> it's, just, it's, a, it's a classic. It's a classic. It's just the classic say, hello. Hello. That's it. It's just it's just plain, simple, and classic. I like that. All right, anyway. So Survive Space Attack is is really going to take a lot of the mechanisms from the original game. And it's going to just port them into the new. So instead of an island, you have a space station. Okay? Uh, the space station is kind of being, like, it's kind of falling apart, being blasted apart by these invading aliens, okay, rather than it sinking under the sea. Uh, the station is made of uh, different types of tiles, okay, just like Atlantis is made up of the uh, beach tiles and then the forest tiles and the mountain tiles. There's three different types of station tiles here, okay? Actually, there's four. Oh, there's four. Okay. Yeah, because remember, there's four different thicknesses. Oh, yes. Okay, all right. You're right. You're right. So there's there's different thicknesses just like in the original, which is a really cool thing that Stronghold did when they published the game uh, Survive Escape from Atlantis. Uh, they put this different level of thickness of tiles, which is really kind of cool. So what we have here is we have this station. Instead of escaping to islands, you're escaping to these like kind of warp points where you're going to be able to jump away, um, but it's functionally the same. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same. It's thing. the same thing. Okay. So, you know, so far, you know, I know people out there listening are thinking, okay, this all sounds the same. You're going to have your little people, but they look like little spacemen with helmets, right? Ooh, they're and awesome. They are awesome. They and you're are gonna, so cool. And you're going to put them out on the station. And, you know, so that's just like Survive as well. And they have numbers on the bottom of them. And that is also just like Survive. So yeah. if you're listening, you know, you might be thinking like, well, so what's different because you said this was different, you know, or were you just lying? No, I'm not lying. <laughs> I was not lying. So <laughs> what's different are a few different things. Firstly, you still have a few different types of aliens, and they are going to function the same way. So you have one alien that just eats 
people who are, they call them floaters. So these are people who are floating in their spacesuit in space rather than swimmers, okay? You have a particular type of alien that will uh, destroy your escape pod, okay? Or destroy your fighter, which we'll get back to later, um, and eat everybody who's on board, okay? Just like you did in the original with the sea serpent. Um, here we have the queen, right? The queen. The alien. queen, yep. And then we have one that basically knocks everybody out of whatever vessel they're traveling in, just like the whales do. So again, sounds exactly the same, but the differences arise in a few different ways. First of all, this space station is armed. Yes. So you there's have, turrets. There's turrets. There's laser turrets, and there are these cool gray wooden pieces. And uh, that's one of the things, again, that I love about this edition. Not only is it the thickness of the tiles, but the wooden pieces. I yes. absolutely love. So there's these big gray laser turrets that get set up on the thickest of the tiles, which are the reactor tiles, okay? And these laser turrets, you can actually man and use one of your movement points to shoot them. Yes. And what are you going to do? You're going to shoot at the aliens. You're not shooting at each other. <laughs> Okay. But, much as you want to. Much as you might want to, but you're going to be shooting at the aliens. And if you hit aliens with the laser turrets, you actually capture them. Okay, They come in front of you. And then, at a later point in time, on your turn, you're going to have the opportunity to put them back out onto the board in any vacant space. Just as if you had picked one of the tiles in the old version that lets you just... You know, take a monster and move it from one spot to another. Well, this, you're moving them from in front of you to any other vacant spot, usually right next to Carter, right? <laughs> that that was the theme the other night. Was that I the played. theme? Yes, that was the theme. That was the theme, yes. And I lost. And you lost, that's true. How many people did you get off? One? What, two. Two. You got two. 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 You I got two. two. Off. You, you did two get two. Off. Off. I, I figured I did the one last thing where I was moving a ship. Like, just back and forth, trying to get all my guys, like, moving a fight over, just back and forth, back and And trying to get off, yeah. and it just it just didn't well, work for yeah, you. Yeah. It didn't work for you very well. No, I already got the fall off. Well, so, you know, they plopped the sea serpent down. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, not the sea serpent, the queen. The queen. Yes, the queen. So, okay, so this is one of the, the primary differences, okay, and one of the main differences in that it makes a game that was already aggressive and makes it more aggressive. Right. Which is kind of fun. Um, then you also have what are called fighters. Now, fighters are new little ships, and they're awesome-looking little wooden pieces. Um, and you have escape pods instead of boats. Yep. So the escape pods are kind of roundish-looking. They still hold three people, and the fighter holds one. And the cool thing about the escape pods, they work exactly the same as the boats do, so nothing new there. But the fighter is very new because... Uh, you can board a fighter from the station only. You can't board a fighter anywhere else, but you can hop into a fighter from the station. And then the fighter moves an unlimited number of spaces in a straight line. They're really fast, okay? And if they end their movement on a space with uh, any of the aliens, they capture those aliens, yes. okay? But... If an alien enters a space where the fighter is, well, then the, the, the pilot of that fighter is going to have some problems, okay? Right. But you can zip around the board really fast, and you can <laughs> capture more aliens. Now, this is one of the interesting tension points in the game to me because you desperately want to fire the laser turrets, and you desperately want to fly around in the ship, but that doesn't get you any points, no, right? No, it really doesn't. It really doesn't help you. At best, it's going to you know, hurt your opponents because then you're going to get to put those things out. 
So it's an interesting tension in this in this new version because on the one hand, you can totally hose your opponents by capturing aliens and then putting them out in very inconvenient places, okay? But at the same time, you're not really helping yourself. So that's going to lead, if you play that way, you're going to lead to a very low-scoring game. People might only get a few people off entirely, right? On the other hand, if you don't use them at all, then you're kind of wasting opportunities. And the fighters being able to zip around so quickly, um, you know, and then uh, one of the, the favorite things that um, my son likes to do and that I did is, is jump out of the fighter, Right, and then get to the warp point. Just leave the fighter there. Yeah, um, <laughs> just kind of floating in space. So, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of neat new ideas. The last thing that's really different is there are more special action tiles. I would say in this game than the original Survive. There's a yes. lot yes, more a things. Lot more. There's a lot more, and there's a nice little kind of cheat sheet on the uh, in the rule book that kind of uh, shows you all the different effects and the different times that they can be played or color coded, which is nice. The, the most interesting of them, though, to me, are the ones that allow the aliens to evolve. So one type of alien can turn into another type of alien, right? And you're going to play those tiles, and then you get to roll the die. So if, you know, you've got floaters somewhere, well, guess what? I'm going to try to see if I can evolve, uh, you know, this guy into it's the one that, that yeah, in, in, into the... The, the, the squiddy. We call them. We call them the squiddy, which, which kind of looks like the squiddy from uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the Matrix, right? Yes, the things yes. that attack the ship. They kind of have like little tentacles and yes, like little squids. <laughs> so little squiddies will eat any floaters that are in the space. So I might evolve something into a squiddy so that it can maybe. And if I roll a squiddy, then I just got to eat two or three people, right? It's actually called a spawn, but a spawn. Thank spawn, you. Okay, yeah. so it's called a spawn. I call them squiddies. squiddies. So you can call yeah, them whatever you want. <laughs> so. Um, those are kind of like the, the key differences. The other key difference is a very, very subtle one, and it's one that I really appreciate. In the original game of Survive, what usually occurred somewhere mid-game is you end up with two kind of escape routes to islands that are kind of open and two that are just a complete mess, that are just fraught with peril, right? Right. Blocked with boats is a sea serpent sitting in the middle. And if you even get near one of the boats, the sea serpent would destroy one of the boats and come to you. Exactly. So, you know, you end up with these kind of almost blocked routes. And everybody starts to ignore them because yeah. they're too hazardous, right? Well, one of the neat things that the Anglesteins did with this is they added in a rule that is going to give you bonus points for each different jump point you used right. during the game. So if I only use one, that's not really going to help me. But if I use all four, I'm going to score some additional points. And as anybody who's played Survive knows, a few points here or there can make a huge difference. And so that encourages even more risk-taking, and it encourages even more aggression. Right. And so it really kind of changes up the game with just a very simple rule change. Like that, that seems kind of so obvious when you hear it. But I didn't think of it before, you know, yeah. and all the times and all the years that I've been playing Survive Escape from Atlantis never really occurred to me that it would be cool if there was an incentive, there was a way to incentivize using the other islands or in this case, the other warp points. So that I thought was really neat. And the last difference that's kind of key is it's a double sided board. Yes. So when you flip the board 
There is uh, another side. I don't even think you've played with that one. Have you, Carter? No, I've only played with one. Okay. So we've only played with the one side. The other side only has two warp points. So it makes it even harder to get people off of the station. And then finally, the rule book also contains what are called scenarios, which is really kind of neat. So you can set things up differently, and there's different kind of objectives. And so they kind of took this system, this classic game, and then they kind of you know tweaked it, they reworked it, they reimagined it, you know, not just the theme, but some of the mechanics, some of the things and the choices that you have. So it kind of kicks the game up a notch, in my opinion. So uh, for people out there who uh, you know d haven't had the chance to kind of see this one, that would be what I would say about the the key highlights in the in in the differences between Survive Escape from Atlantis and Survive Space Attack. So, Carter, um, what were your impressions of this game? You know, what did you like about it or not like about it? What what are your thoughts? And in in particular, if you could maybe tell us a little bit about like. Whether you like this version better than the older, the same, whether you like the older one better. Could you kind of talk to us a little bit about that? Well, I think the newer version may be a little bit more competitive. What I makes it What makes it more competitive? What would you say? Well, the fact that you're able to place down monsters right in front of someone, then you're running them back, and then someone jumps into the, jumps into the little wall. The warp point, yeah. The warp point, and then, you know, he sends a sea silver after all of you guys in the boats. Yeah, I know. You should never forget that. But Carter made the classic mistake in our game of putting three of his own men in into one, one escape pod. Escape pod. And that was just begging to have somebody eat it. And so, yeah. But the thing is, that. I didn't even see, there was not a single... It was not a single fighter jet out. And you pulled a fighter jet out as soon as I put my guys in that boat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was white and wine with a seesaw, but it just captured it and put it down. I wasn't even expecting it. No, that was a little bit of a, a surprise for you. Yes, it was. Was that a pleasant surprise? No, not at all. No, not at all. Okay. I was seek to avenge the whole entire game. But what I found out is that it's kind of a little bit of a matter of how things pan out. Because I kept trying to seek revenge most of the game. I, see, I seek revenge some of the game. But the thing is, I found it hard to actually, like, attack someone. It took a lot of steps. It took a lot of things. So I found it would have been hard to attack someone. I found it that if you can't attack someone, then you might as well. Because it only comes around a couple times. But I found it that you need to get a lot of things right to just attack someone and destroy them immediately. So do you think that's a false choice then? Like, do you, What I mean by that is you think that people can get so caught up in the idea of attacking somebody else that they miss opportunities to get their own people off? Yeah, because it's like people get a little bit, like I did once, but people get a little bit caught up in trying to attack people when it's a matter of basically if you can, then you, then you probably should. But if you can't, then you know, let it go? Let it go. That's right. Okay, so um, basically you're saying if you have an opportunity, feel free to use it, but otherwise don't spend your whole game would be your advice trying to get revenge or go after other players because then you don't get any of your own pieces off and you lose. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, all right. So um, do you think this version is more or less complicated or the same as the original? Well, I find kind of found the tiles... Um, like the original survival, a little bit like easy to look at and just like okay, it does this. They also have a rule book for like all the tire sections and mm -hmm. it's just. 
the tiles aren't that hard, so they don't add that many things that are that hard in today. So I think it's not that more difficult. Okay, so you'd say it's about the same. All right. Okay, and so uh, before you take off here, um, can you tell us which one do you prefer and why? Or do you not prefer? I'm not going to force you to make a choice if you don't want to make a choice. The thing I find about Survive Space Attack is it's kind of like an expansion. It's kind of like an expansion to the game. So I kind of feel like both of the games are a little bit the same. I mean, it's the question of if you like the expansion. And I think the expansion's okay, so I would just say Survive Space Attack. Okay. So you feel that it's kind of an expansion and that it adds uh, some new things, but the gameplay is still pretty much the same, like an expansion in a regular board game. Yeah. Okay, that's an interesting way to look at it. I never really thought of it that way. You know, so many people are asking the question, Lloyd, about... Well, if I have Survive, is there any point to me getting Survive Space Attack? Or am I just kind of getting two of the same game? And so my focus has been on this idea of, is it different enough? And Carter's whole point is, it's almost like they took the game and they added an expansion to it by adding a few different pieces, a few different things, some rule, t- you know, some rule changes, some different options. But it is kind of the same game. As we've already discussed, mechanically, like almost all of the mechanics of the original are present in this edition. And it's just new options and new things that you can do. So that might not be a bad analogy. Like this is this is almost like an expansion, you know, Um, what would you what would you say to that? I would actually totally agree with what Carter said, because if you take a game, you know, like Dominion Mm -hmm. and you take some of those later sets of Dominion, they're only adding maybe one or two new types of cards, new types of rules, Mm -hmm. and the core game is still intact. You're still trying to do the same thing, but the gameplay feels so different, like when you have the duration cards from Seaside. Right. Or if you have, uh, now with Adventures, you've got like that tavern mat, and you've got those cards that you can kind of reserve. Right. And it... It's a very simple enough rule that it's not too much to think about, but it changes the feel of the game. And I totally agree. I mean, this does feel like just a big uber expansion for Survive because all of those same mechanics are there. But the couple of little tweaks they made to the rules, like especially trying to get to different jump points Uh to get Uh your guys out. I mean, that's a great idea. And the idea of these fighters that you can just fly around and collect these aliens. I actually did that a bit in the game. At one point, I had four different wooden aliens in Mm -hmm. front of me. And you can only put one out a turn, but I was sitting on, I think, one turret on the station. And I was in one fighter. And uh, every turn, I was collecting like two aliens. And the next turn, I'd put one of them out. And it was always... Right near Carter, <laughs> because... Even that, if that... I was in a boat with you. Yeah, actually, yeah. You would get a whale. Yeah, I, I, was, I was. He was totally willing to sacrifice one of his own to get to a Carter. I, I, I really was. Why. I remember one game when I was playing with someone else, and I was sitting in the same area as the other guy, and I'm trying to... I'm trying to live. And right now, he's, he's tempted to put a shark Right in my area. Right. Even though he's in there. <laughs> and he's going to die he's, anyway. Yeah. A lot of people are just talking to me in this game. But the thing is, um, he actually called a boat over. Uh-huh. And he moved one space to the, the boat. But he couldn't. He didn't have enough space to get in the boat. So what I did for my turn, I called the boat over for one action. And then I got in the boat. <laughs> and then I ran away in the boat. <laughs> and then you left him for <laughs> And I just yeah. left him and I rolled the shock. So 
That's good stuff. And then the shark went over and ate him. That's yeah. right. That's right. So I think maybe like I think maybe like the logical progression then, if you're already playing Survive Escape from Atlantis, right, and you want just a little bit more to have to think about in the game, right, to maybe give you another level of strategy other than just I need to get my guys over to the shore as fast as possible. This game feels like that next logical progression. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got just enough additional rules that, you know, don't interfere with gameplay in any way. No, no. Yeah, it just changes it up, but it doesn't make it. But it changes it, it up, mm-hmm. and it, it gives you just a couple more options that at key points in the game, like Carter said, at key points in the game, if you have the opportunity to really be aggressive and attack somebody, you can do you that. You totally do it. Yeah. And you yeah. should totally do it because... <laughs> It's fun. It is fun. It's a lot of fun. It is fun. It's fun beating up on me. That's right. That's <laughs> it's right. Totally That's fun right. beating to, up to on you. Just totally devour a whole boat of Carter's people, <laughs> and you go like, "It mm, tastes like chicken." And <laughs> one of them was his five, and one of them was his six. I know. I know. Because you put them both in the same boat. He told us that, folks, after <laughs> the game, because you know we we didn't peek at his pieces, but yeah. yeah and the thing is, um, no, he told I us that immediately. I got in my boat. <laughs> right. And I left the other player for dead, and I sent the shark towards him. That was my five. That was and, your then, five. and then I moved the boat along, and I picked up my six. And right before I could get the boat to shore, we destroyed the game it. ended. Oh, okay, all right. I, I thought we had. I thought that was the boat we destroyed of the three. Of, well, anyway, okay. No. no. Suffice it to I'm say, about a different game. suffice it to say, it is it. still a mean game, um, which is very refreshing. Um, because there's there's not that many games out there that are this confrontational, yeah. Uh, which is one of the things I really liked about Survive, and I think it's one of the things that uh, appeals to people because uh, so many games that are out there now that the, the interaction is is more minimal. It's more about blocking. Uh, it's very subtle, um, and so you have this game that is really truly like a a Marathrash and Euro hybrid. You know, it's got. Yes. Simple Euro mechanics, very intuitive, and yet it's extremely aggressive, directly confrontational. So I really think that this is, uh, um, whether you're going to look at this as a mega expansion for Survive, whether you're going to be looking at it as its own thing, as we kind of originally started talking about, I I think either way, it's a game that certainly is worth picking up because if you're a fan of the original, I can't fathom how you would not be a fan of this one because the 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 scenarios, the rule changes, the uh, alien kind of uh, evolution, the uh, fighters, you know, all of these different things just make the game that much more fun, uh, that much more interactive. And if you like survive, you like that kind of interaction anyway. So it's not like this is going to be like, oh, well, that's just too much, you know. <laughs> oh, he put that, you know, uh, that that uh, queen right down next to my ship, and then he rolled a queen and he destroyed it. That's that's ridiculous. That's what he well. Did to me. That's no different than the the sea serpent submerged tile where it goes under and then it pops up. The difference here is that you don't have to have a tile to do it. It's much easier to put monsters, um, you know, or aliens in this case, in the path of your opponent because if you've collected them, you just get to put one out. So as long as it's a vacant space. So it really does kind of ratchet that up and fans of the game are going to like that, I think. They're, They're not going to dislike that. So I think no matter how you cut it, this is a game um, that really looks like it's going to continue um, the success of, of this kind of, you know, now we have to call it a family of games, right? 
and it's it's going to give a lot of people a, a lot of pleasant, fun memories and great stories. So, uh, Carter, uh, thanks for joining us to share your thoughts about uh, this game, Survive Space Attack. Thank you for inviting me on the show again. So the next game that we're going to take a look at today is a brand new game that uh, was released by Tasty Minstrel called Flip City. Now, Flip City actually has been around for a little bit. It was released in 2014, um, and the designer is listed as Chen Jifan and the artist uh, Adam McIver. And uh, this is a game that, that Tasty Minstrel kind of, I believe, picked up and, and has done the distribution now. Um, in you know North America for this particular game, and what this is, I you know I don't know whether you would call this a micro game or not, but it is. It, it's a, a small deck of cards at its heart, okay. And there are basically buildings that are depicted on the cards, and so these could be things like residential areas or apartments, uh, hospitals and churches, factories. Uh, parks, all kinds of different things. The interesting thing here is that the cards are actually double-sided. And the reason the game is called Flip City is because one of the main goals you have during this game is to actually sort of flip or upgrade cards that you have in your hand from one side to another. And so the way the cards are oriented, meaning um, you know, whether your cards are face up or face down is hugely important. And so you have to be really careful when you're playing the game because of this. But what it does do is it offers some interesting choices during the game um, as you try to meet one of the two victory conditions. And one of the victory conditions is to have, I believe it's eight or more victory point symbols Correct. Uh, that are face up in your display in one turn. And we'll talk about what that means in a second. And the other is to have, I think it's like, what, 16 cards? 18 it's, or more 18 cards. 18 or more cards. It's this insane number of cards in your display in one turn, and that will win you the game as well. So there's two different victory conditions. Now, when we talk about your turn, that's one of the other things that makes the game different. Uh, when I was speaking uh, with uh, uh, Daniel, uh, a representative of Tasty Minstrel, um, who I've gotten to know a little bit, uh, and he was showing me the game, he said that what this game kind of is, is it's, it's a kind of a, a deck builder combined with ink and gold. It's a push-your-luck game, without a doubt. Would, would you agree with that, Lloyd? Oh, totally. It's, it's definitely a push-your-luck game. And as you'll explain in a minute, you know, one of the icons on the cards that you're looking at are these frowny faces. And when sad you, faces. Sad faces. And when you get the red, frowny, sad face... <sighs> If you get too many of them, you go bust and all your cards get wiped. Everything that you did, absolutely. That's a nice sound of, of a plane, isn't it? It's better than my helicopter from a few minutes ago, isn't That's it? That's true. No, no, <laughs> I liked your helicopter. No, the plane is... Uh, I, I have a feeling we're going to be in trouble with that plane. We'll see. Um, Interesting. For those out there listening, um, I, I live in, in a sort of uh, the Pocono region of Pennsylvania, and there is a small airport nearby here, and they like to do skydiving. Um, and so this airplane kind of flies directly over my house all summer long 
and people hurl themselves out of a perfectly good airplane, which is something that I've never understood. You know, people say, like, would you ever jump out of an airplane with a parachute? Yeah, if it's going down. <laughs> if it's going down. But if there's nothing wrong with the plane, why on earth would I ever choose to throw myself out of it? It's like it's like you're traveling down the car, you know, down the highway at 80 miles an hour in your car, and you're like, eh, I think I'm going to jump out. <laughs> I'm going to do a barrel roll. I'm going to jump out. We're going to hit the bridge, and I'm That's just right. going to die. I'm just going to die. We're just going to die. We're going to do like a park. Core thing or something. <laughs> Never understood that. Anyway, so hopefully the plane won't be too annoying for those of you out there listening. There's not much I can do about it, unfortunately. Um, other than shut up all the windows and then we'll like die of heat. So anyway, uh, I digress. Let's get back to Flip City, shall we? Yes, let's get back to Flip City. So the way Flip City works is uh, you have a deck of cards in your hand and you must keep the cards like really tightly stacked. And that's because you never want to know what is under the top card of your deck. If you do, it's kind of like cheating. So you have to be really careful to keep that deck like stacked nicely. And then what you're going to do is you're going to have a choice. Do I want to play the top card of my deck or not? And so the cards are all going to do different things for you. Okay, They're going to provide you with some base income, most of them, except for like your parks, which are just going to give you straight victory points. But most of them are going to provide you with some income. And so every time you play a card in front of you into your display, it's going to show you a money icon, usually of one or two dollars, okay? You're going to use that money to either buy another copy of one of the cards, all right, that you have. There's only five cards double-sided, so we're talking ten cards, yeah, okay? That's it. So you're either going to buy another copy of, of one of the base cards and put it right into your hand, unless you happen to have enough money to both buy and flip at the same time, which is difficult to do. But anyway, you're either going to buy a card with that money, or you're going to choose to take a card in your discard pile, which is a, an interesting mechanic, and then you pay what's called the flip cost, all right? Because every card has a cost at the top that tells you how much it costs to acquire it, and then it has in the lower corner the flip cost with a nice little icon that lets you know, oh yeah, this is for flipping the card. When you flip the card, it's, not, it's often not just an upgrade of what you have. Sometimes it's completely different. Mm -hmm. So for example, the hospital which is going to give you money and it's going to give you additional money for every frowny face you have in your display, okay? Um, you know, I guess because people are coming and they're sick and, you know, whatever. It's kind you're of a shame, but you're making money off of, off of it, right? Okay. <laughs> I profit from sadness. So anyway, um, you know, you, you have a hospital, but the flip side of the hospital is a church. And what the church does is it increases, it keeps people happy and it increases their tolerance for unhappiness. Okay? <laughs> so I guess we're going with the Marx kind of version of, you know, what religion is for is to pacify the people. Um, but anyway, again, you know, I, I digress. Um, so what you're going to be doing is you're going to be playing these cards in front of you. But the trick is is if the card underneath the top card that you just played is a residential area or I think the shopping mall, okay, which is the flip side of another card, you must then play the next card. You must play that card. And so what sometimes happens is you don't have the choice as to whether or not you're going to play a card. In particular, these residential area cards, which are kind of like estates, you know, in, in the base game of Dominion. You have a lot of them, yep. and they provide you with a buck, unlike estates, but they're actually kind of bad because uh, every residential area has a frowny face. I haven't thematically figured out why. I, I know that's supposed to simulate, like, suburban sprawl and people get unhappy, but, <laughs> but people need a place to live, so I don't know why suburban that makes them unhappy. Sprawl. But anyway, yeah. uh, there's a frowny face, and so... If you flip a card or are forced to play a card, 
that would give you three frowny faces, you bust. You can only tolerate two. Unless yep. you have a church, and then you might be able to tolerate three. But you know, so four would make you bust. If you bust, your turn's over, you take all your cards, you put them in your discard pile, and you wait until your next turn. Now, um, as soon as your draw pile is empty, then you have to take your discard pile and you have to shuffle it up. And you have to shuffle it up in such a way that you don't see it. So you have to shuffle under the table, or what I just do is I just look up at the ceiling and close my eyes and shuffle the deck. I, I can't be bothered with going under the table. But it is very important because if you're in the middle of one of your turns um, and you play a card and it's the last card in your draw deck, you actually have to shuffle your discard pile and then see what that top card is. Because if that top card is a residential area or a shopping mall or something like that, you, like, you're you going to have to play another yeah. card. You're going to have to play it. And if you play it, it might make you bust. Okay. So... What you're going to be trying to do is you're going to be trying to find ways to either deal with frowny faces, right? Negate them, like with churches. Or you're going to be trying to find a way to get rid of frowny faces. Or you're going to be trying to find a way, and this is my preferred method of play, of making it so that playing a frowny face is not forced upon you, okay? So, for example, the residential area you've heard me talking about, which has the frowny face, says if this is the top card of your deck, you must play it. Yes, Whereas the flip side, which only costs a dollar to upgrade it, but the flip side is the apartment. The apartment still only gives you a buck. It still has a frowny face, but it has lost that, uh, that, that text that tells you you must play it. So now it's at least my choice as to whether I want to play it or not. So those are kind of the things, the three main things that I think you have to consider when you're playing the game. And I've seen multiple different uh, approaches work. For example, last night I played it again and I went with a church strategy and I just made sure that I had enough churches that it didn't matter how many frowny faces I played because my churches were increasing my tolerance for unhappiness. Right, okay? exactly. So my people got religion. Okay? And they did. And they were very happy about it. They were okay. All right, They were willing to tolerate uh, trouble in this world because the next world will be better. Okay? <laughs> and I ended up being able to put out that you know 18 cards or whatever it takes now to... Now you did the nine victory points. Oh, I did get the nine victory points. Okay, but, but I was had, also close. You were really I was, close. I was you really had close, 17 yeah. cards in I had 17. And I had just bought a convenience store which is a very safe card right. in game terms. It doesn't do much for you, but it's very safe. And the convenience store is the one that lets you win by putting out all those cards. Yes. So I just bought a couple other copies of convenience stores to kind of extend my run. Uh, and it kind of got to the point where I was able to kind of see, okay, I can actually safely play my entire deck right now. and I'm going to be okay. And that's when I realized I didn't quite have enough cards to win that way. And so I ended up uh, um, making some adjustments and whatnot. So... Um, Flip City, uh, formerly Design Town, is a really, really interesting game. Um, there's a few things about it, though, that kind of, I think people need to know going into it. Uh, but before I get into that, um, Lloyd, would you like to kind of share with people your impressions of the game or things that you noticed about it or, or anything that you have to say before I kind of dive in? Yeah, this was uh, my first, I guess they're, they're calling it a micro deck builder. And like any other good deck builder, everybody starts with the exact same cards. Right. And you shuffle them up and you're going to get your cards in a different order than everybody else. Um, I did really appreciate the whole pressure luck element of it because it, it kind of nipped me more than once in the game. Oh, yeah. But the nice thing that helps you mitigate the whole pressure luck is you're allowed to look at your discard pile 
anytime you want to. So if you remember from the beginning of the game that you have four of those residential areas. Mm -hmm. And one apartment. And one apartment. And I can look in my discard pile and go, oh, well, gee, I already have three of those residential areas in my discard pile. And I feel I've got at least four cards here. I know I'm pretty safe that I'm only going to get one more of those. And I'm going to be willing to press my luck and see if I can get a little bit more money by maybe picking one or two more cards. Right, right. But if I look down... But don't do that I last see, card. You no, know, don't do that last card. do the last card. <laughs> then, then it's all going to break up. On That's right, you got to reshuffle. All right, right. But, you know, if I look down at my discard pile and there's only two or three cards there and none of them are those residential areas, oh, I might just try and play it safe. I only have two cards maybe in front of me. I can see the top card is a hospital. It's only going to give me another buck or two. I might just say, you know what, I'm going to buy something right now or I'm going to flip something. Um, And so even though there's a pressure luck element, there's a way that you can kind of work with it. So it's not totally a random choice because you can always see what you've already played. Right. And then you can make more of an informed pressure luck decision as opposed to just, I'm going to see what happens and, you know. Hallelujah, I didn't get the card that I was waiting for. You Hallelujah. Know? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> not, <laughs> not the expletive I would have used yesterday, but you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. No, uh, you know, and, and it's interesting because I've seen people actually use the bust mechanic, like, intentionally. Like, okay, well, here's two of my residential cards, and you know what? I'm just going to keep flipping until I find that other res because I know my hospital's already in my discard pile. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna flip until I get that other residential. You know, like you said, you're estimating the amount of cards in your hand, you know, because you can't really look at them because even if you splay them, you're gonna see what they are. So you just kinda have to like look at that thickness or count the cards in your discard pile or whatever. And then you you know, I've seen people actually just intentionally bust just to get those out of their hand. So they have a clean turn the next time. So um, well thanks for sharing uh, your impressions about that. Um my impressions were, were a little bit different, I'll be honest with you. Um, okay, I'm going to come out and say this. Uh, I think for a lot of people, Flip City is going to be a game you're going to have to be willing to play a few times because your initial reaction is probably going to be pretty poor. Now, obviously Lloyd doesn't feel that way, but I felt that way. I know uh, Zach, another guy in our play group, he really felt that way. It can be incredibly frustrating. Like if, if you're not listening to this podcast and you haven't heard someone say, well, really the first thing you need to do is just start flipping those residential areas so that you don't do auto busts. Okay. Yeah. And you have to kind of figure that out on your own. You're going to have one or two plays that are just very borderline frustrating where, you know, every time I get, you know, $3, I need $4. To get any of the good cards, I need 4 or $5. Yep. Come on. And you flip one last card to try to get that and you bust. And then your next turn, you bust. And then you have one turn where you're like, well, I was able to pick up a convenience store. And then your next turn, you bust. I mean... Like, I watched Zach's reaction, and I know my own reaction. I was just like, man, you know, this this game is really frustrating. Like, I felt very frustrated by it. But I stuck with it uh, primarily because I wanted, you know, I always, I, li- I like to be fair in reviews. Um, and that means you got to play the game more than once. Oh, yeah. And so I was like, okay, I want to throw this at other people and see what they think and see how they react to it. Because maybe it's just me, right? 
And I saw that it wasn't just me when I saw Zach's reaction. I saw your reaction where you like, I bust again. Um, but you're pretty tolerant of frustration in games, uh, whereas I'm not always so tolerant. But you? No. Never. Never. But here's the flip side. Well, I guess that's a pun. Anyway, <laughs> here's the flip side. Totally as soon as I said it, I'm like, well, I guess that's... All right. Anyway, here's the flip side. If you play the game a few times and, and you learn those things, or maybe you've listened to this podcast or a video review and you've seen it, then the game kind of opens up, right? Because as you said, then you start to realize that you can control, not necessarily control, but you can play the odds. You, you can really kind of play the odds. You can do some thinking and you can mitigate the randomness of how often you bust. And once that happens, then you really start to have some fun. Uh, I've seen strategies develop in this game using the factory card. The factory card is one where you uh, play the factory and the top card of your deck goes to your discard pile. The bottom card. Oh, of I'm your sorry. Deck. The bottom card of your deck goes to the discard pile, which is kind of nifty because in the beginning of the game, half the time it's a freaking residential area and yeah. I've just gotten rid of it. So that's right. awesome. Um, and then the flip side of that card is also really useful. Um, that's the power plant, right? And the yep. power plant allows you to take an apartment and gift it to another <laughs> player, right? Um, there's also ways to take residential areas once you turn them into apartments. You can basically, it's not upgrading the apartment because there's only two sides of the card. But if you pay eight coins, you get to take that resident, that apartment, flip it back to a residential area and gift it to another player. So there's a little bit of take that in the game, but it's expensive. It's difficult to do. So it doesn't turn into... There's some games, especially these small card games nowadays, that are kind of take that games, and they get kind of silly. Like, it's just like, I hit you, you hit me, I hit... You're basically going to get to do that maybe once or twice in a game. You're, you're going to be able to gift somebody with a card if you focus on doing that. Yeah. There's a whole other strategy that evolves around the parks. The parks do nothing for you except give you victory points, but the flip side of the park gives you three victory points instead of two, and so you really only need two of those bad boys in one park and guess what you've won the game so i've seen people work on a park strategy i've seen people use the factory power plant strategy i've seen people use the convenience store church strategy and so just like harbor uh i'm sorry not harbor uh mashikoro just yes. like mashikoro that i initially kind of dismissed as well it's all about the cheese shop <laughs> you know, it's all about the furniture market. No, you know, like as I played it more, I discovered more layers to that. Oh, there's a single die strategy that you can use to win that game. Oh, interesting. Oh, there's, you know, this combo of cards that will work. And then with the expansion, there's even more combos. You know, now you have your mackerel boats and your tuna boats. And so this game kind of reminds me a little bit of that in that at first blush, you're either going to think it's entirely random or it's frustrating but as you kind of play it a few more times, you're going to start to wrangle that a little bit. Um, and so I think that, you know, this is a game that if you're willing to give it a few plays, you're going to start to see those things. Or if you read enough about it beforehand, you're going to see those things. If you don't, I'm a little worried that this is the kind of game that someone's going to bust out of the box. They're going to play it once or twice and say, that wasn't fun. I basically, you know, got to do six things and every time else I busted and this is stupid. Right? Yeah. And, and they're going to put it away and they're not going to play it again. And so part of my goal in, in doing this review today, Lloyd, is to kind of get people to at least play it two or three times. 
before you make that decision. Because once you kind of have a few of those little aha moments and you start to understand it, then the game becomes much more interesting. You start to see strategies that other people are going for and then that opens up counter drafting right yes so if i see you going for those parks i'm going to take those parks right i'm going to i'm going to take them and i'm going to flip them and use them myself or i'm just going to take them so you don't have them um you know i'm going to start gifting you uh, to slow you down with apartments or residential areas and and things like that so there's there's an ebb and flow to the game and and it's it actually ends up being better than i thought it was so my initial reaction to this game was either neutral or negative. And now, after I've played it uh, quite a few times, I think I've played it like five times now. Yeah, about five times. After I've played it now about five times, my reaction is it gets more positive with each play. I feel like I have more control and I have a better understanding of the game with each play. And so I'm appreciating it more. So that would be kind of my thoughts about... Uh, Flip City, uh, formerly known as Design Town. Lloyd, do you have anything that you want to add about this game? Uh, not really, other than just to kind of spring off of what you said. For me, like the the good, uh, a good game design is one where the more you play it, the more you see just like something else that you missed mm-hmm. the first or second or third playthrough. And I haven't played this nearly as many times as you have. But it, it sounds like that this is a very simple game design that has a lot of complexity to it that you can actually almost master after a few playthroughs and then, you know, really, really develop your own strategy and see how that works against somebody who's played it just as much as you and see if they can, right, you right. know, really develop their strategy against yours. Yeah, I'm anxious to try that because what I have found is that I, is I have definitely gotten better at the game. I win. Like I, right. I, I, I'm gonna win because I know how to wrangle it. I think better than a, a new player or a newer player, right? So, that's one of the other things that people talk about in design. They say, well, if a good play wins, then the game can't be entirely random, and there must be some strategy to it. And I would say absolutely there is. Um, I'll be curious as I play it. I mean, this is a game that I'm definitely gonna get at least. 10 or 20 plays out of at least okay i'm already five in so it's probably safe to say i'm going to get at least 20 out of it i'll be curious to see if i get more just because with this set of cards there's not to say i'm not going to find another combo later that's going to work for me but so far i've identified like four major paths i think that i've talked about right right? and those are the four that i see right now so now it's going to be all about as you said Finding a player of similar experience and seeing what happens when we go head-to-head. Yes. And whether it turns into a race game, who can do it better, or whether or not you can really interfere the way I'm hoping you can. Uh, whether counter-drafting is a, a really viable kind of uh, strategy in the game. That, I think, for me, is going to determine whether this is a you know 10 to 20 play game or whether it's beyond that. right? So if I keep finding new combos or if I find that the mind versus mind thing when playing with players of equal skill, gives the game more legs. But even at like 20 plays, I mean, the game is is very inexpensive. I mean, yeah, it it's, is. it's a little card game. It, it's certainly, you're going to get your plays. You're going to get your money's worth out of it, you right? You definitely will. If you're not the person who's going to say after one or two plays, this is stupid, I don't like this, uh, I keep busting, I, I hate this game. If you can get past that, you're definitely going to get your money's worth out of it. And I'll be curious to see what Tasty Minstrel does with it in the future, whether or not there's going to be any expansions. 
I mean, one card. I mean, you're talking about a game that is really only, what, ten, ten cards? Ten different right? cards. Yes. So I'll be curious to say, even just adding one or two cards, I think, would really give this a lot of freshness, would really give this a lot of uh, new opportunities and, and, and uh, would extend the life of the game. So uh, I, I'm going to be curious to see what they do with it in the future and also what happens as I continue to explore it more. So um, I would say Flip City, definitely try it. Uh, I think if you can get past that first one or two plays where it might be a little frustrating, um, I think you're going to enjoy the game. It's quick. It's easy to set up. It's easy to put away. Uh, there's lots of different paths to victory, as we've already discussed. And so I think that this actually is, is a game that I'm growing to like more and more with each play. talk about today is a, another brand new release. Um, this is a game called Spyfall. Uh, this one is a game that was all the rage over at Gen Con. Um, it was one of, I think, the, the hotter games at the con, although it was very difficult to get a copy of it. Um, and so, of course, we had games like uh, Codenames, which was probably the hit of the con, uh, Dark Moon, um, uh, what was it, Blood Rage, you know, so there's a lot of really big games at the con, but Spyfall was one that I know a lot of people were waiting for. Uh, this is a game that originally came out from Hobby World, uh, which I believe is a Russian publisher, and the designer is listed as Alexander Ushan, and uh, it is a, a really interesting kind of a take on this sort of spy game. It plays from three to eight players, and it was picked up for North American distribution here by Cryptozoic. And so uh, Spyfall is, is a, a really interesting game, and it's a game that my family has come to enjoy. Um, even my, my wife likes it. You know, she's very picky, um, and my kids enjoy it a lot as well. So uh, I'm going to ask uh, my daughter, actually, Sophia, to be on the show today. Uh, I can do that because it's my show. And uh, <laughs> she's going to talk a little bit about why this is one of the games that she likes as well. So uh, before we begin, we're going to talk a little bit about how Spyfall works. So Spyfall is a game uh, that uses decks of cards. The game comes with 30 decks of cards, okay? And each of the decks of cards represents a different location. So it could be a hospital, or it could be a military base, or it could be a casino, or, you know, really anything. Okay, I think one of them is even a space station, if I remember. Was, was there a space station? I believe something? there is. Yeah. All right, so um, there's all these different locations, and everybody knows what the locations are. The rulebook actually has a nice two-page spread that kind of shows the locations that you can leave out in the center of the play area um, in case people kind of need to sort of uh, catch a glimpse of the different locations. And, and the reasons for that will be obvious in a minute. And basically what's going to happen is um, every player is going to get one of those location cards from the bag, okay, that has that location, but nobody knows what it is, okay? It's hidden even to the person who's distributing the cards. And there's also one spy card that's included with every deck. And so what you're going to do is you're going to take a deck of cards, you're going to take um, the spy card, and then however many cards you need to equal the total number of players. So if there's five players, it's going to be the spy card plus four from that deck that you don't know what it is. 
You're going to flip the spy card down. You're going to shuffle it up with the other four cards. So you now have a total of five. You don't know who's going to get that spy card. And then you're going to pass one card to every player um, in the group. And people are going to simultaneously look at their cards. The card is either going to tell you where you are, like we're at the casino, or it's going to just show spy, okay? And the trick of the game is uh, whoever it is that has dealt the cards is going to ask the first question. And so what you're trying to do is kind of Dixit-like. You're trying to ask a question that lets the other people at the table who also know we're at the casino know that you know that you're at the casino, but not so obvious that you're at the casino that the spy knows you're at the casino. <laughs> now, if that sounds like a tortured and confusing sentence, that's because it's really tricky to pull off, okay? In Dixit, if you give such a good clue that everybody knows what your card is, you, you lose, basically. You don't get any points. You don't get any points for it. If your clue is so terrible that nobody gets your card, you, you lose, get no right? Points, yeah. uh, you, you get no points, So. This kind of uses that engine and puts it into a different kind of game. And so if we continue with the example of the casino, what's going to happen is if I doubt it, I'm going to look at Sophia and I'm going to say something like, what shift do you work? Now, right away, if Lloyd's the spy, he's going to think, okay, let's look at all these different locations that are open for longer than like a normal day. Okay, so it could be the hospital. It could be the casino. It could be the military base. It could be the space station. It could be... And so he's going to be kind of looking, but he can't stare at the locations in the center of the table because that's a dead giveaway that it you're sure the spy, is. right? So you have to kind of glance without looking, glance okay? without looking. <laughs> which is a very funny inside joke for those of us who are teachers because as kids are taking their state standardized tests, you're supposed to glance to ensure that they're working on it, but you're not actually supposed to look at what they're writing because then you might be tempted I guess, to point at something or say something to them. So the actual advice that we get from the state is glance without looking, which is always cracks me up. So, yeah, but it kind of applies to this too, right? So you want to kind of glance at it as you're kind of looking around at people without being too obvious. So I would say to Sophia something like, hey, you know, what shift do you work? Now, if Sophia looks at me very confused, if I see in her eyes that she is totally thrown by that question, I might have a beginning of a suspicion that she could be the spy. But if she looks at me straight in the, in the face and says, well, I work all different shifts. Ooh. Well, that's a, that's a tough answer because she didn't hesitate. It's possible if you work at a casino that you might work different shifts. Hmm. So that's not a bad answer. But at the same time, it's not as good as, well, I always work third shift. Or I always work second shift. So I'm a little, I'm convinced, but not, I'm, I'm a little, con so she's on my radar. She could be the spy. She's either really clever and she gave me a very safe answer or um, she is, she knows we're at the casino and maybe it's somebody else. Now, Sophie gets to ask a question of somebody else and she can't ask me because I just asked her. So she's got to ask somebody different at the table. So she might ask a question like, what's your favorite part of this job? Now, that's a really easy question to ask, but an incredibly difficult question to answer. Um, so you might say something like, I really like seeing people happy. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, are we at a carnival? Does a carnival have more than one? Sh I guess they could. I mean, carnivals could open in the morning and go late into the night. Maybe, 
Maybe we're at a carnival. It's a place where people be. Well, it's not the hospital. I don't know if people be. Well, maybe if it's like if maybe if a baby's being born. So as the spy, you're kind of like constantly trying to narrow down what what are the possible locations because the crux of the game is if you're the spy and you can figure out where you are before the round ends and the round is timed it's eight minutes yep before the round ends you can flip your card and say i'm the spy we're at the casino and if you're right then as the spy player you're going to gain points for that the other way you can gain points is if you survive the whole eight minutes of people asking and answering questions and no one has yet nominated you successfully as the spy and then at the end of the round, if you still don't get picked unanimously as the spy, then you've won two. You're going to get points as well because you're able to survive, right? Otherwise, uh, a spy who reveals and picks the wrong location, that's going to give points to the other players. And if the other players can correctly identify the spy before the round ends or after the round ends, that's going to give them points as well. So um, basically what we do as a family is we play as many rounds as there are players. So this is a game that can take like 15 minutes or it's a game that can take, you know, an hour, you know, depending on how many people are playing and how quick people are to jump either to reveal and pick or to accuse, right? And so it's a really, really interesting and kind of fun game and we've really enjoyed it quite a bit. So that's kind of a basic overview of how Spyfall works. So I've been able to play this game quite a few times. I've played it with the family at least on three different occasions, I think. And I've played it with other people as well. I really find that the game is enjoyable and it's a lot of fun and it's a lot harder than you would think. Um, so what I'd like to do now is kind of talk to Sophia. And, you know, Sophia, I want to ask you, you know, you have gotten, as you've gotten older and you're now officially a teenager and you now are like a little less interested in games than you used to be. You're very selective about the games that you enjoy. Um, you used to kind of like play games all the time, and now you know, you've know you got a very active social life like every other teenager out there, and so you don't want to play just any game, but this is a game that you actually seem to like and request. So I wanted to have you on to ask you, what is it about this game that you really enjoy, and why is this a game that kind of... Uh, is one that you're ready to play at any time. It's a really easy game to learn, and I don't really like learning new games, so the fact that it was really easy and quick to learn drew me towards playing it, and I like games that are really interactive, so the fact that you can work with other people to figure out who the spy is, or if you're the spy, to try and work around letting people know that you are the spy is really intriguing to me. Well, I think I'd agree with you, Sophia, that the game is like definitely uh, easy to learn. I mean, the, the rule set is quite simple. And it was one of those kind of things that like I the rules were really simple. And then the first time we sat down to play it, we're all like, because uh, you're trying to think of what question can I ask that will let you know that we're at the casino, but that doesn't give away that I'm at the casino. And that's a lot harder than you would think. And so the timed element really kind of comes into play because you only have eight minutes to figure it out. Now, the timer can be paused if someone's going to make an accusation, right? If someone makes an accusation, I think that Lloyd's the spy. We uh, Lloyd can't vote. The rest of us at the table vote, but it has to be unanimous. If it's not unanimous then he doesn't reveal whether he's a spy or not, and play continues, right? So 
pretty quickly that time really slips away because you would think like it, it would be a long time, but it's not. It's not because trying to think of those questions, like if you're in a military base, all of the questions that you would ask someone, like how do you like taking orders? You know, it's like, okay, well, if I say that, pretty much everybody's going to know it's the military base because we don't have a fast food restaurant as one of them. And where else do you take orders? You take orders at restaurants as a waiter or a waitress. You take orders on a military base. You, I mean, that's kind of it, right? So it's like you have to be so careful about the questions that you ask. And yet, you don't want to ask stupid questions. Like, um, and and stupid questions is too harsh of a word. But like, uh, one of the things that um, my kids like to do is they like to ask really vague questions (laughs) and then give ridiculously vague answers. So... How do you like your job here? My and job is great. My job's great, right? Or like, <laughs> it's okay. It's, you know, all it's like, right. oh, well, great. Well, that was a total waste of time because I didn't learn anything about whether or not you do or do not know that we're at the military base or that we're at the casino. And so it's much more challenging of a game than you would think it is. The bottom line is you really can't afford to just give people free pass questions like that. And so it kind of ramps up the tension level um, in the game. So um, Sophie, are there any kind of like general strategies or ideas that you found that you like when you're playing the game? Is there any suggestions you'd have for people? Well, when you're a spy, I would say that if you could give answers that are somewhat general, but make it seem like you know what you're talking about, like if someone asked you, um, what your favorite part of your job is and try to like geared towards like okay so the majority of the places that i've heard of know have interaction with people so i'm going to say something that has interaction with people or really i'd say really using what people are saying you have to really pay attention because you can use what people are saying to really make it look like you know what you're talking about because i know i've made it through around for a full eight minutes with no one even starting to suspect me because I made it look like I knew what I was talking about. Right. Even though I pretty much knew where we were, but I wasn't really, like, sure. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to stick it out for the round because from what I'm seeing, everyone's gearing towards the same direction of questions and answers. So it would really help me to just play along and use what other people are saying to fuel my questions and answers. Right, right. So like giving an answer of like, well, you know, I really like working with people. That's like a very specific answer, but it's still very general. You know, like if we're at the casino, then saying I really like working with people. If we're at the military base, I like working with people is a little bit more of an odd answer but it's true like people would say well yeah okay there's lots of people in a military base and uh you you like working with people right it's much better than just saying i like my job fine right which is this kind of really evasive answers we were talking about earlier um i think that's a really good point sophia do you think it's easier to hide or easier to figure out where you are for me it's easier to hide because if you can get nobody to suspect you, then you're pretty much sure to make it to the end of the round and win your game as a spy. Then trying to always look down and try to figure out where we are and that's going to be a easy way for people to look at you and say, hey, if she keeps looking down at the, um, the 
born in the rule book, I think she's a spy. Right. Yeah, we nailed Carter a couple times because of that, right? Because he kept we, we would ask him a question, his eyes would immediately go down. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay. So he's using the question we're asking to try to figure out where he is, which is what you're supposed to do. Right. But you can't look, right? <laughs> glance and without so looking. You glance without looking. And so that that's a skill. You know, that's a skill. Um, so Sophie thinks it's easier to hide. What, what do you think, Lloyd? What, what's been your impressions of this game? Um, I would probably say that it's easier to hide because you have no control over, as the spy, you have no control over when questions are coming to you. Right. So if you're the first person that's asked a question in the round, you have no prior information from hearing what other people have asked that is and hard. what other people have given as their yeah. answers, and you immediately have to work on hiding. Whereas if you're the third or fourth, or maybe even fifth person to get an answer, and you have no idea whether that's going to happen or not, um, you might have a little bit more information, right. and then it, it's much easier to be able to hide because you can pull from the questions that were already asked and from the responses that were already asked, even if you're not sure where you are, you can give maybe enough enough of a response that sounds like information that yeah. other people have already given. So I think it's definitely much easier to hide than try and actually figure out and determine where you are. Now, if you're playing with new players who slip up a little bit and maybe give too much information right, right. with those first couple of questions... Well, you know, then you might be able to actually figure out where you are and as the spy go, hey, I'm in the theater right now. But, you know, when I played with, with you guys for the first time and Joanna looked at me and went, now, okay, the, the location we were at was the theater and I knew we were at the theater. Joanna turns to me and goes, so... How much blood was there this time, or something really <laughs> random? Like, what did you think about the amount of blood that you saw this time? And my brain immediately went, What the heck does blood have to do with being at the theater? So, my first thought was, Oh my goodness, she's the spy, so why is she asking me about blood? But then the more I sat there and thought about it, because I didn't know how to answer, I was like, Well, I guess in the theater, there could be a scenario where there's fake blood or there's some sort of special effect. There's something like that. And so then I really had to think about, well, how do I answer this? Because I know I'm at the theater and I want her to know that I'm at the theater if she's maybe a props person and trying to think about, you know, fake blood. And so my response was something like, not as much blood as last time. And she just looked at me and went, okay, I'm going to call a vote on Lloyd right now. And I'm like, but I'm not the spy. And how is it that that answer isn't good enough when that's a question that has nothing to do with the theater for me? But and I was so, the spy, but, and I thought it was the hospital because you're talking about blood. Right. Right. Yeah, it's and, and it's interesting. It's it's a really interesting game because um, as you get better at it, you start to ask clues that are designed to trip the spy up. Like um, Sophie and the kids and I were playing a game, and we were at the supermarket, mm -hmm. and my question was, "Why do you think it's so cold here all the time?" <laughs> and the kids kind of like you know, they, they, I forget who I asked the question to, but they kind of looked at me a little funny, but they were like. Oh, okay. And so they kind of figured out, you know, they gave me an answer to the question. 
But because I said, why is it so cold here all the time? It eventually tripped up the spy who thought that meant that we were at the Arctic base or whatever it was, okay? Because they're like, oh, well, that, that would be where it would be cold. And we were able to give enough other kind of answers as the non-spies to kind of not tip our hand that we were at the supermarket, but that we were, you know, and, and so they thought we were at the Arctic Station, and they were wrong. And so as you get better at the game... You get better at giving answers that not only help you identify your teammates, but also can intentionally be designed to try to trip up the um, the spy. Because if it had gotten back around to the spy and they had said something like, so, you ever seen this many penguins before? <laughs> right? Or something like that. It's like, oh, well, clearly they're the spy because there's no penguins in the grocery store, I hope. Right? And so... It's really interesting. I also talked to a, a guy at Gen Con uh, who said his entire strategy was he kind of gave clues as, um, oh, geez, what, as, as almost like all of the clues that this player used were puns. Oh, yes. They were all pun-based. And so the pun clearly let the other players know that he was on their team, but it was so bizarre of a statement to make that it gave no information at all. Like, the pun only makes sense if you know where you are. Right. And so he had developed this kind of uber strategy of, well, if you give clues and puns, and the only people that could figure out the puns realistically would be the people who are looking at the card or who, who had looked at the card at supermarket, Right then they're going to, oh, yeah, well, he definitely is at the supermarket, and so that's not the spy, and so it quickly eliminated people. So I found that to be kind of interesting as well. But it also leads me to my only concern about the game. My concern about the game is, with only 30 decks, is it going to turn into a Dixit kind of a thing? Like, for example, there are certain cards that my kids and I, we joke about. It's like the card that looks like a dude made out of paper, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and he dicks it, and he's got like a cane or something, yep. right? My nephew s played it once for no reason we can figure out and said wisdom. <laughs> so now, every time, like, wisdom has kind of become the joke clue for that, right? And it works the same in Mysterium. There's a card that I've used twice as the ghost. It's a mountain that kind of looks like a bear's head or something, and there's trees on top that look kind of like unruly hair. And I've used that bear to try to get people to focus on the barber in Mysterium. Like, this bear needs a haircut, right? And they haven't gotten it yet. But because my kids and my family play with me, I guarantee if I play that bear again, they're going to be thinking, oh, it must be the barber. Because So you kind of learn each other's preferences. And I'm a little worried with Spyfall... That because there's 30 locations, you're going to learn each other's preferred clues for those locations, right? Um, because there's, I don't know, maybe we're just not creative enough. But like if you give that clue about blood again, as my wife does, we're going to know it's the theater unless, you know, she's intentionally trying to throw us. I mean, so there's a little bit of metagaming going on there. Do you have any concerns at all, um, either Lloyd or Sophia, over the fact that you think the game might become... Um, somewhat predictable based on the people that you play with. Yeah, because like you were saying, Dad, with Mysterium, I have played that game 
enough to know that the card with the food all over and the silver platters, that my brother calls the diabetes card, um, means... It's all cupcakes and cookies. It is. It's a diabetes card. Anyway, go ahead. That means, because multiple times I've played it, everyone's trying to foc- get us to focus on the, like, the silver pans and mm-hmm, stuff in mm-hmm. the back. So right. immediately when I played Mysterium the last time, I was like, oh... Well, this is the silver thing, the silver weapon. It must be this because my dad has played like played that card to indicate this weapon before. Right. But and I'm worried with Spyfall. It's already happened when my brother and sister and I sat for like an hour and played Spyfall. I was like, oh, we've played this already and uh, this um location already. Right, right. And my sister has already used this clue in a previous game right. to indicate something that she's not a spy. So I was like, okay, I already know she's not a spy because she has used this question before, and people are starting to use the same answers and same questions, and it's like, well, I already know how you would answer that question. It's kind of giving away where we are or what your train of thought is towards where you are if you're a spy. So it's kind of, it feels kind of repetitive if you've played the location before and people are asking the same question and giving right. the same answers. And that is kind of the challenge, right? Is, is trying to ask different and new questions. But the game does help us with this, right? Mm-hmm. The game helps us because the cards that list the actual location, a lot of those cards have what's a, a little roll on the bottom. So in the supermarket example that I gave earlier, I was the janitor, right? <laughs> and we did another one that was hilarious. It was the day spa. This was with me and the kids. And I was the stylist, right? <laughs> and then Olivia looked at me and said, are you ever annoyed at the people who come here? That was her question. And so I knew by her asking that question, all right, I think she knows where we are because customers can be annoying. If you've ever worked any kind of retail or any kind of service job, customers can be annoying right and so i looked at her and you know you're supposed to answer as that person so i was like well yes they can sometimes be annoying but in the end you just have to remember that really deep down everyone is fabulous (laughs) and so (laughs) i immediately knew that i must be at the spa because where else would people talk like that and say you know, everybody's fabulous on the inside or, or whatever, yeah. right? Like, that's, that's such a day spa, you know, stereotypical stylist thing to say. You know, like, I'm going to make everybody look fabulous. That it, it just kind of, like, it, it was funny, but I can never use that again. Right. Like, if I'm ever the stylist again at the day spa, I can't use that. Because if I do, then you're into the metagaming that Sophie's talking about. And now it's not about playing the game honestly. It's about letting other people who know me giving them a leg up, Mm -hmm. you know, because if Sophie and Olivia and Carter and I play, even with like Zach, we have a vocabulary that we've already started to build that we can use amongst ourselves that will help us, but not him. Yes. And so that's one of the things that I think could be a little dangerous. I agree with Sophie on that one. Um, Do you think it's a fatal flaw, Lloyd? Well, no, because I think the original fun with this game is using it more as like a party game so when you play it even though it might be your copy 
you're going to play it with maybe new people every two or three times that you play it. Right. And I don't think this is the type of game that really garners playing with the same circle of people over and over again. Because, like you said, it could turn into this metagame where you have this vocabulary and you might only get a dozen plays or so out of it before you're like, okay, we've kind of played this to the point where it's not so much a game anymore and it's not the whole mystery. It's just really listening for those keywords right, that right. we know each other's going to use. Whereas if you're playing it with, you know, even if it's a bunch of people like myself and Zach and, and maybe like Victor and Matt, people that you know well but that have not played the game with you, there's a lot more to trying to be evasive enough with your questions, like in Digsit, trying to give the right type of clue right. so that people who aren't familiar with the game and familiar with the vernacular that you're going to be using to give those clues, like they're really going to have to think about it. And so I would say, no, the, the creativity side, I think, of the game is what's the biggest draw, along with really just trying to play it with new people constantly. Right. Because you're going to keep that fresh experience. It's not one It'll of It'll be fun for you, too. It'll be fun for, for you, for, too. For right. playing it fresh, right? Whereas there are a lot of games where you do want to play with the same people over and over again because it's more about uh, the, the strategy and the, the engine you're trying to build. Mm -hmm. This is the complete opposite. You want it fresh every time. You want it new every time. That's an interesting way of looking at it. So you're, you're saying that playing it the way that Sophie and I are worried about is almost cross-purpose to the intent of the game, which is to be more of a social kind of a party game. Exactly, yes. All right, so are there any things about this game, Sophie or, or Lloyd, that you don't like? Any things that you wish were different or that work differently or things you don't care for? One of the things that you and I talked about uh, the last time we played it was that there really is no player aid that's small enough to list just all the locations that every single person could just have maybe in their hand and be glancing at. The only way you really become familiar with these locations is if you take a good three or four minutes before you play and everybody just stares at that center rule book mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and tries to familiarize themselves with it. Um, other than that, I, I think that's the only like major flaw in the game because like you said with Carter, if you see somebody constantly yeah. glancing at that location portrait in the middle of the rule book, that's almost a dead giveaway. Right. Kind of like in Werewolf when you glance down at your card. Yeah, yeah right. exactly, exactly. Uh, Sophie, do you have any problems with the game or anything that you don't particularly care for? No, I would agree with um, Mr. Lloyd because even if like you are the spy and you've memorized, because I know with the locations, I've pretty much memorized all the locations and kind of familiar what they, like, like what the picture looks like and it's hard for people who haven't played the game before because they're not familiar really with the location so they have to constant like they're at a disadvantage they're at a disadvantage and it might not be as fun for them because everyone else knows what the locations are already and they have no clue really what the locations are because they're not really familiar with the locations and what is traditionally there unless you take like Miss Lloyd said, like a three or four minute time yeah, like study period study yeah. period to look down at this um, 
bored and memorize all the locations. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I mean, that's tough for me to do. Like, I can't hold those 30 locations in my head. The first time I played, I'm like, this is hopeless. Like, I can't remember these 30 things. So as I learn things as a spy from the other players, I'm glancing. I'm, I'm taking those real furtive glances just as my eyes sweep by and I'm trying to just kind of look, you know, and, and see, okay, oh, yeah, 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 you know, the... Uh, uh, you know, casino is one of the locations. Okay, yeah, it could be the casino. So that you know, as I'm listening to others and they're staring at each other, I'll steal a glance down and say, okay, where else could it be? Right? It could be here too. All right, maybe it's at the bank because we're talking about money. It could be the bank. It could be the casino. Right? So it does make it difficult. Um, now, you know, I think that another way to keep things fresh is obviously going to be expansion. Right? Yes. Because then you're going to be adding more locations, but I don't think you can keep adding ad infinitum to the locations. You, you're going to have to start devising a system whereby you're going to pick 30 locations out of a possible 40 or 50 or however many they end up putting out, right? Right. So you're going to have to come up with some sort of a different system, I agree, so that you know, even if it's just like a dry erase board or something that you can write the locations down so that everybody can see them or something, right? Because 30 is challenging, right? 30 gives you a lot of different kinds of options and, and makes things difficult. But 40 or 50, I mean, that would be impossible, I think, as the spy to try to internalize 40 or 50 locations. So I think that there's definitely room for expansion in this game. But everybody keeps talking about like, oh, well, you know, once the game gets bored, you can just make your own cards. And that's totally true. Like I could make a card for any kind of location. I, I could make a card for a game store. I could make a card for... Um, you know, any location that's not included in that game. I don't think a church is included in there. I could make a card for a church. Yeah. I could do whatever I wanted, um, you know, and, and then if I sleeve all the cards and I have it in such a way that you can't tell whether it's an original card or a homemade card, I mean, that would all work. That would be fine. But the yeah. problem is, is as you continue to add those locations, it's making it harder and harder for the spy to realistically have a chance of deducing what it is. So I think going forward... They're going to have to figure out a way to expand it but keep it modular so that everything will kind of snap together into this 30 location. I'm assuming the number 30 did not come out of thin air. I'm assuming it came from playtesting and, you know, this is the right number to keep it challenging but not so high that it's impossible and any less would be too easy, you know, because each location has to have at least one or two others that are similar to it. Otherwise, it's easy, you know. Right. Like, for example, if I put a church in, and I said, how often, you know, do you only come here on Sundays? Well, you know, for any uh, Christian, at least, around the world, they're going to be like, oh, well, gee, that's the church. You know, where else would you only go on a Sunday? A racetrack. Right? A racetrack, yeah. <laughs> NASCAR Poking track. Poking a raceway. Poking a raceway. <laughs> you go to the monster truck, really. Sunday. Sunday, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> wow, smoky burnouts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that would be something that would be an interesting alternative, but you're going to have to figure out some kind of a system in order to work with it. So... Uh, before we kind of leave Spyfall behind here, um, Sophie, do you have any last things you want to say about it? Um, do you see yourself continuing to play this game in the future, or do you think you're going to burn out on it? I feel like unless they make more expansions, I mean, having more than 30 locations would be really hard for a spy. They almost have to figure out a way to, if before you start the game, if they have expansion cards, you have to, like, swap out. You could almost yeah, like, yeah, swap, yeah, swap out. out. Yeah. Because 30 locations would be 
more than 30 locations would be, I think, too hard. But I, if they keep adding expansions, I don't see a reason why this game would burn out. Okay. But like definitely for big party groups, like I feel like like Werewolf, it's always a game I'm gonna be like, hey, how about we play this if we have like a big group of friends over for absolutely a game day, or if I have a big group of my friends over, like, hey guys, you wanna come and play this game with me real quick? It's like for big groups, I don't think it's a game that will ever burn out for me. In small groups, maybe, but in big groups, I think that's a game I'll continue continuously want to play, just like big party games like werewolf well you know i think that's a, a very insightful answer because like lloyd said in a big group as a party game i think that's probably the intent of the game whereas the small group i think you will burn out and so i think there will eventually be and it's not burnout but like it's you'll grow too familiar it'll become too metagame right so small groups if that's all that you play with then you're you're going to want to think about this game because you will definitely get your, you know, 10, 20, 30 plays out of it. No doubt about that. All right. I'd venture to say even between 20 and 40 plays, you're, you're definitely going to get. Okay. But eventually, if you're only playing it with a small group and it's the same group, you are going to start to become too familiar. Whereas if you're playing it as a party game or a social game, I think Sophie's right. You're never going to run into the same exact combination of people, same exact time, place, uh, mood, um, whatever, familiarity. And so it's going to keep it fresh for the, the foreseeable future. So I think this is a game, like she said, I, I like the comparison she made between this and Werewolf. Would you say there's any similarities between these, Lloyd, other than the fact that they're party games? Um, yeah, I mean, they both definitely have that hidden traitor element. Right. And they, they do have the opportunity for the collective good guys to try and out... Mm -hmm. the werewolf, or in this case, the spy. Um, now, in Werewolf, if you out somebody that's not the werewolf, you just killed off one of your own teammates. Right, and you know instantly. And you know instantly. In this game, if you out somebody that's not the spy, you just lost the you round lost. for your entire <laughs> right, right. team. Yeah. So it's a little more devastating in Spyfall, but the nice thing is the rounds are eight minutes. Right, right. So Werewolf is a game that you can spend hours depending yeah. on the size of the group yeah, yeah. you can spend hours discussing debating voting and you know uh, tying on the votes and with the multitude of different roles that are available it, it can take a long time to get through a game of werewolf whereas spyfall you know what if you guys lose and the spy wins so what? Now you play it again. It's another eight minutes. Different set of cards. Different yep. set of cards, and it's that same intensity for eight minutes straight. And I found out that with games, like comparing this game to Werewolf, I found out when I had a sleepover for my birthday a couple years ago, I had at least 12 girls down there, and we played one round of Werewolf, and they're like, can we play again? Can we play again? Can we play again? I want to play again. And even now, my friend comes to me and my friends come to me and they're like oh can you bring werewolf over I, I want I'm having a group of friends over and I really I really want to try and show them this game and I feel like this game has the potential to even because uh, my friends that I hang out usually with aren't they aren't gamers no mm -mm. and the like even games like that kind of what game like werewolf I've noticed that like games with secret like identities, identities yeah. it's more interactive and it really engages people because I've only ever had one friend who will sit down and play board games with me mm -hmm. 
and the rest of my friends are more like let's do stuff together so I feel like this game with being so interactive I I would have no problem going to my friends and trying to get them to play this and I feel like they'd enjoy it because it's not something you really have to think about it's just more fun mm -hmm. like if you're hanging out with your friends this is something you can just pull out and be like hey let's play this guys it'll be fun and it's something that a game I think I could introduce to my friends who aren't gamers and they'd enjoy it. So you kind of think it's it's a little bit of a gateway game then, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah? All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to thank uh, uh, you, Sophie, for stopping by and uh, sharing your thoughts about Spyfall and giving us that perspective and uh, sharing your ideas. And Lloyd, of course, I want to thank you for uh, being on the show again. So those are the three titles we looked at for this episode of Quick Looks. This is being recorded... Uh, on Wednesday, August the 12th, and um, stay tuned for uh, next episode where we'll be talking about even more titles from Gen Con that we have the chance to play and experience. So for Sophia and Carter and Lloyd and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening and have a great night.